We who are about to die salute you. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to Season 3 of Moratory Mondays here at the Chris and Reggie channel. This is Episode 22, or Season 3, Episode 1. Uh, we will be taking a look at Strike Force Moratory, Number 22, cover dated October 1988 today. Um, we usually start things off with a little, uh, like a potpourri segment. Like, uh, of late, we've been doing Pitch Force Moratory, taking a look at ways we can, you know, shoehorn our favorite heroes into different genres and different uh, forms of media. And we had a really good time with that. But uh, today, we're not going to do anything like that, because uh, in case you're unaware and in case you're listening to this in the future or listening to this uh, after we assemble all 30-odd episodes into a 70-hour episode, you know, mega episode, you don't know that there was a... <laughs> great deal of time between episodes 21 and 22 and uh kind of just want to talk about that for a little bit uh really don't have any excuses for uh the lack of episodes uh other than uh it's all my fault uh i uh, uh a couple of months ago um as as many of the listeners know uh, something uh traumatic had happened to the channel and uh i really just uh isolated myself i pulled myself out of a lot of uh what i'm passionate about and what i enjoy doing um didn't really give any a warning uh didn't tell anybody really just kind of disappeared uh kept doing the stuff at the blog but just didn't do a whole lot of audio just wasn't did my heart wasn't in it and uh you know this isn't the biggest show uh we don't have like the hugest listenership but uh we do have a loyal uh listenership and uh and we appreciate and love all of you so we figure, or I figure, that uh, I owe you a little bit of an explanation for the lack of, well, anything. Um, I don't know if you look if you look forward to listening to this show on a Monday, if it's a good way to start your week. Uh, I apologize for the fact that it just hasn't been there for the past, what, seven or eight weeks. Um, figure that uh, it's just, it was easier not to do anything than to do something half-assed and... Uh, that's my only rule when it comes to uh, creating content is that is you have to be passionate about what you're doing. And after what happened in May, uh, the last thing I wanted to do was read a comic book and talk about it. So we did do a couple of episodes in the interim, and uh, I kind of regret them because I feel like I forced my way through them. And I think I owe you all better than that. Um, I hope it wasn't apparent or as apparent as I feel it might have been. But uh, just want to... Uh, I apologize for that and uh, the fact that this show has been such a long time coming because it is something that I and we enjoy doing. And uh, I definitely owe you guys an apology. I owe my partner, Mr. Bailey, an apology because uh, over the past several weeks he has been by my side trying to get me motivated and trying to keep me uh, off the precipice. Um, <laughs> and uh, I am uh, – 
you know, they say like doctor heal thyself, you know, uh, I can give advice. I can, uh, I could stand by advice that I give, but when I'm given that same advice, I'm like, Nope, <laughs> not going to work. Uh, so I isolate myself and I pulled myself out and, and again, I, you know, I, I feel really bad about that. I think I reacted the wrong way, but I am also very emotionally immature. And, uh, this was a, this was a, you know, a, a damning thing that happened and I didn't really know how to process. And I figure maybe in hindsight, I felt it might've been easier just to get angry at the world than to actually deal with what I was dealing with. And, uh, and again, uh, as if I haven't apologized enough, I, I apologize again because uh, this is something that uh, we enjoy doing, I enjoy doing, and hopefully you guys enjoy listening to. And uh, if we were going to go off the grid for a bit, you guys deserved a little bit of a heads up. Um, I, I, I would assume we haven't ruined any, you know, very many people's days. But if anybody out there was looking forward to what we did not deliver, what I did not deliver, uh, well, we're back now. And uh, hopefully we're in it for the long haul here. Uh, our seasons, uh, as we call them, have run between 10 and 11 episodes each. Looks like we're in the home stretch here. So it looks like season three uh, should be where we wrap this uh, bad boy up. Uh, All right. Yeah. So uh, I think without any further ado, we'll just hop right in. Uh, this is, of course, Strike Force Moratorium number 22. Cover dated October 1988. The story is called The Long Suicide. Written by, well, James D. Hudnall. He's our new writer. And uh, this is his second outing. Oh, James. Poor James. Poor James. Uh, Our pencils are thankfully not by Hugh Thomas. Uh, We're actually joined by... Kind of like our transitional penciler here before we get to Mr. Mark Bagley a little down the line. This is John Calamy, who is a... As we're about to find out, a vast improvement on Hugh Thomas, uh, though certainly not to the levels of uh, Mr. Brent Anderson. Oh, no. Who uh, inks Tony DiZuniga, uh, letters Phil Felix, colors Max Scheel, edits Carl Potts, the chief is still Tom DeFalco, cover price $1.25 USD, $1.75 Canadian, 50p UK, and this one hit the stands on June 7th, 1988. I, I always I always rank my years by WrestleMania, so we're 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 just WrestleMania just three off. or four. Right, we're right out of WrestleMania four here. So mm-hmm. Savage is the champion, and this is 1988 June seventh, 1988. And listen, man, I want number one. I want to thank you for that intro. Oh. No, 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 no apologies needed. I I just thought we were published by uh, Image Podcasting. That's all. We were, just, <laughs> we were growing just, roses. Yeah. <laughs> We're just seasoning, but season three, baby, episode 22. Now, listen, how many niche podcasts, and I mean a niche of a niche like Moratory Mondays, make it 22 episodes? I'll tell you, not many. And then, <laughs> and now we're on what's deemed the long suicide. Oh, boy. So uh, this this is going to be an interesting one because of the absolute and utter train wreck that the, uh, the last episode was yeah. uh, in regards to quality of the book. But uh, this is uh, – will this be a turnaround? Will this be a revitalization? Back to form? Let's see. Let's talk about it. Yes, but first let's take a look at this cover, which uh, it really isn't that bad. It's not, it's not a great cover, but it's not bad either. How so about you thing, tell them a little what, bit about it? <laughs> what what things strikes you, number one, that, that I was very, very, very happy to see about this cover? What, what do you think the first thing I'll begin with is? 
Mm, the artist? The, yeah, the art is not terrible. The, the art is pretty good, <laughs> let's be honest. But the first thing that I will say is that the Horde are back. Yes, they're back they in regular form. They're they not do cats. Not. <laughs> I have no idea. You, you need to do yourself a favor. If this is your first episode of Moratory Mondays, do yourself a favor and look at the horror, the horror that was episode, issue 21. It was devastating. It was bad. It was it hurt the soul as a Moratory fan to just watch that train wreck unfold. But uh, boy, we're back to form here. And so the issue is it's a very good issue. So it's the uh, it's the horde, and they're basically looking out their observation deck of their uh, their scout ship or up in the up in the uh, atmosphere above Earth. Satellite, yeah. They're up in the satellite, and they're taking a look at their target, which is Earth, and they're launching some missiles at good old Earth. So this looks like uh, you know there's there's dire consequences ahead for uh, for everything that transpired in the past couple issues with the horde. They ain't taking no crap this time, brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is definitely a, a step in the right direction. Um, uh, last month's cover, uh, episode uh, issue 21, there was that Mike Mignola cover, which was very stylized. But uh, as you said, the real tale of the tape was just what the Horde were transformed into <laughs> inside uh, the book. Oh, I like how uh, how sometimes we use the word stylized to, uh, to, just, <laughs> to, to just basically say crap. <laughs> Bill Sinquette one. Um, oh, now, exactly. <laughs> your favorite. Um, but yeah, this uh, this one is, uh, and it actually, as we get through the story here, uh, this cover actually uh, tells a tale from the inside of the book, which you don't get terribly often, especially these days. So um, it's very uh, it's very appreciated. Um, but if, any, we, if any if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, one of my pet peeves, and I know that Chris shares this with me as well, mm, are covers in 2020. The pinup cover, yeah. The pinup cover. So yes, you have variant covers. You have what? I'm a huge fan of storytelling covers. I like to know mm-hmm. what's happening inside my book. So I grew up with speech bubbles on the cover. You sure. know the the dramatic scene that may or may not have actually happened, or you know, in the form that it's pictured on the front cover. But you know, it was meant to draw you in. When I walk a comic book store in 2020, all I see is a series of pinups. I see a lot of half-naked ladies bending over in different positions. I see a lot of superheroes doing nothing but jumping, flying, posing. Yeah. There's what is happening? Like where are my storytelling covers, Chris? Where? Where are they? It's, it's true. I remember um when I first uh, realized and I I might have been late to the party with this pinup cover uh, phenomenon, but uh I remember when uh, Brian Bendis started New Avengers. So this was after uh, Avengers Volume 3, which reverted back to Avengers Volume 1 with issue 500. And then three issues after that, it was canceled and yada, yada, yada. But this was like 2003-ish, 2002-ish maybe. And we have New Avengers. And I remember uh, I had skipped a couple of uh, couple of months at the comic shop. So I went into the store and I bought a bunch of them all at once and I got them home and every cover was a pinup cover. And this was before oh, variant covers ugh. were a thing. You know, this yeah. was before. So this was just like the only cover that you'd get. So there were no real variant cover glut like we have today. But every issue was just another uh, another like, oh, here's the team grouped together standing. It's like. <laughs> 
what order do I read these in? You know, if, if there wasn't a number on the cover, I wouldn't have the foggiest idea because there's absolutely nothing being told on these uh, on these covers. Yeah, they're interchangeable. You don't you don't know oh, yeah. issue one from issue five. You, like it's it just mm-hmm. caused a complete you know complete disaster. Before you used yeah. to be you used to know when you went into a comic shop. And mm-hmm. stuff was on a shelf. You knew if that was issue number five. You knew if this happened after the events of such and yeah. such because the cover told you or the sequence of things. You you understood what the story was trying to tell you. But these days, you don't have a clue. They could have like an Archie variant of Venom. Like they could they could do all <laughs> yeah. like, you know what I mean? And I'm, a, I'm a Spider Woman action figure variant for Moon Girl number seven. What? Now, now listen. I'm okay with that, but I want a standard cover, man. I need, I want a newsstand edition cover. That's what yeah. I want. That's what I would personally buy. Absolutely. I, I, you will not get my money with a, you know, with a naked lady on the front cover. I mean, I should, of course, you know, buy it, <laughs> but, but you will, you will not get my money. You will not get my money with just a pose. You will not, you'll definitely not get my money with a white cover. <laughs> oh, I will tell you that. But anyway, but I digress. Anyway, good cover here. Told the story. We're underway. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we we crack this bad boy open here, and uh, this issue opens on a newly ravaged neighborhood, and our narrator, we learn, is a man named Dan Baker. Now, Dan, he laments the fact that in this recent attack, he lost both his parents and a woman named Janet, who seems like she was probably very, very important to him. So uh, he walks a bit away from what we assume to be his home to a massive, seemingly bottomless, smoldering crater. <laughs> now, I'm a fan of dystopian films, don't get me wrong. And mm-hmm. a lot of these scenes that you're seeing here, they're uh, they're pretty familiar. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I saw these from, you know, a lot of the 70s, you know, dire movies we had. You know, a lot of those things were swiped from genre films. So these these panels are definitely inspired. They look like like a late, late 70s or early 80s, like dystopian future movie, you know. For sure. I mean, you talk about your... Your uh, Logan's Run, you talk about your Solient Green and all these type of things. I mean, a lot of these things laid the groundwork with what we're seeing here with Dan. So he lost his parents. So now he's coping, you know, with the loss and trying to rebuild his life with a new job and a new lady in his life. And it's all been taken from him. And this man has really, really felt the wrath of the Horde and also a perfect specimen to become a moratorium. So mm, perhaps, good, perhaps. Good start out of the gate, and we'll see. Yeah, now uh, from here, we zip into moratorium headquarters where Dr. Tulima is uh, chatting hey. up a pair of very similar looking new recruits. I mean, I know we've been away for a little while, but did we miss an issue? <laughs> I think they were away as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, think the, I think the creative team went on hi- hiatus the same time we did. Yeah, because uh, the last thing we saw was in issue 20, the last issue of the Anderson Gillis run. Dr. Tulima was on the run. He was delivering moratory babies and hanging out with uh, Aileen's boyfriend, Guy Harding. Yep. And now he's just back at the base. I don't really know what's going on here. I, I, yeah. I assume I assume that we're to take away that, you know, Tulima has like objectives happening outside of the moratory project. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's doing this outside of he's still going to his day job. But he's doing all these things around on the uh, sly. Yeah. On the sly, yeah. That's not not under Pidea control. So you know he's slowly going rogue. And you know this is my head cannon telling me this. I have no reason <laughs> to think that the the story has been filled into this great degree. But this is how I'm going to explain it. So 
you know, he's been threatened by the Paidee in the past. You know, he's been forced to abandon his original mission of like building an army of remember when he was he was tasked with building an army of adepts. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Where did that go? Like that that went like way out the window. He didn't build any army of adepts. He kept building like these weird, you know, these different versions of moratory. And, you know, he's mm-hmm. been towing the company line as much as possible. And obviously he's afraid of consequences because there's uh, there's clearly some threat threats going out to this man here. So, you know, he's got a lot to lose when it comes to this. And just think about it. This is a guy who put people's lives in jeopardy. So think about what happens to a company when they make a product that kills somebody on the market. Think about what happens to those people in real life. Those companies don't last very long, Chris. You know what I mean? It's true. True. So we, we have the idea of threatening them. They've got many, you know, we're going through many attempts to uh, to mimic uh, Tolima's moratory soldiers. So the idea themselves are going rogue, and they're trying to make their own moratory. They're trying to cut out the middleman. They're trying to cut out Tolima and do their own thing. And, of course, we saw it when they built the moratory monsters, mm-hmm. which was, you know, they were just a disaster. So they need this guy as much as he needs them, but the relationship is strained. And uh, I think they're both doing stuff on the slide that they're not aware of. So I guess this is where Tulima comes in, in my head headcanon. It's, uh, that's as good as any because <laughs> it's, it was definitely not made clear inside the book. Oh, sir. <laughs> but uh, we've got the doc here, and he's looking over some test results from these two recruits who look almost identical. Um, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Now, one of them is our formerly diapered friend from the last <laughs> issue, uh, Jason What's-His-Face. Um, <laughs> regrettably, he is no longer wearing his diaper. Um, uh, now, this other fella is that same Dan Baker from a couple pages ago. Uh, now, Jason tells Tulima about his time aboard a Horde ship as a hostage, which we read all about last time. Now, this is all new information to the doc. He claims that there was nothing written about this in Jason's file, which, I mean, shouldn't that be like the only thing in Jason's file? Because that's the only <laughs> thing we know about him. What else do they have in there? What do they got? Right? Like, picks or what, you know, that what's must in be there? it. Yeah, I, I don't know. They've got some they've got some some uh, spicy tweets and some uh, some <laughs> some unfortunate photography. Just but, saving uh, them up for that appropriate time when they can bomb them with inappropriate tweets. Look at what you it. tweeted in 2013. You they're, savage. They're going to cancel poor diaper Jason here. Um, <laughs> now, uh, Talima then asked Jason to fill him in on all the dates. But first, we shift scenes to the Danny Reeves show. So, uh basically think you know jay leno or david letterman or, or whatever idiot is telling bad jokes after the evening news nowadays <laughs> boy is that letterman formula dead just think about back in the day man when we were growing up i mean th- those late night shows were everything do you not agree sure I mean, pe- sure people actually thought back in the day that david letterman was cutting edge material <laughs> <laughs> think about that for a second I mean, this, you know, you couldn't put this stuff on prime time. No, my God, it had to be after hours. Too edgy, yeah. Yeah, it was too edgy for prime time, right? I mean, just take a look at what Colbert and Fallon and, you know, none of these shows outside of your, you know, what do they have that's anything that needs to be after dark? I mean, they got some unwanted political commentary sometimes. But, but, I mean, Jimmy Fallon is basically trying to be Ellen, for God's sakes. Think about it. (laughs) He's got the music, he's got the skits, he's got little games on the show. I mean, back in the 80s, man, talk shows were everything. And I, I don't know if you grew up in a talk show era, but, you mm-hmm. know, I had, like, 
Morton Downey Jr. I mean, he was oh, the original yeah. Jerry Springer, for God's sakes. I mean, you had Phil mm. Donahue. You had you had Geraldo fighting skinheads on live TV. Those broken, yeah. Oh, that was so good. I wanted Geraldo <laughs> to just beat those guys. Then you had Montel Williams. I mean, he was our, you know, he was our family counselor type. You know, he mm-hmm. took everyone and made them great at the end of the show. And then you had Ricky Lake, who was tackling those teen problems and making sure people weren't pregnant and cheating. And <laughs> then, then you had... Well, one that I couldn't stand was Sally Jesse Raphael, man. I just wanted to take her to the woodshed and get her off my TV. I could not stand that woman. Are you familiar with Sally Jesse? I am I am familiar with Sally Jesse and actually I had a um I had a little bit of a conversation with uh with Hart Fisher, uh the guy oh, who did yes, uh, the right. Jeffrey Dahmer comic. Yes. Who uh who appeared on the Je- Sally Jesse show and he was telling me some <laughs> things about uh behind the scenes and how uh, how she was really trying to push uh, – she was trying to push basically her agenda and was, like, trying to, Hello. like, coach everyone through the uh, through the commercial breaks, like, coaching reactions. And and uh, when, when Hart called her out on this on the air, she kind of, like – she kind of, like, you know, did the whole shrinking violet thing. And uh, <laughs> and then ultimately – in this you could actually see – it. it there's, there are YouTube videos of Hart Fisher on uh, Sally Jesse's show – Oh, and he, I gotta uh, see that. Oh yeah, I've got them linked in uh, in a few blog posts, and uh, and he has his own uh, YouTube channel too, where where they're all up there. But he calls her out. He's like, "Well, you're exploiting this to make money," and uh, and she and she snaps back at him like, "Well, this is a business." And he's like, "Well, there you go." <laughs> <laughs> Bingo! Right into yep. his trap. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Was, yeah, she oh. stunk. Oh, yeah. And then, then you had, of course, then you had the Queen Bee herself, Miss Oprah Winfrey. Now, I, I I wasn't an Oprah fan at all, but, you know, this was before. And the Oprah Winfrey show back in the 80s was certainly not the, uh, you know, the life coach message that a black yeah. rights advocate that she would become, you know, later on in life. I mean, it was just they had their own share of trash on there. So, you know, sure. Oprah, Oprah Winfrey was not, uh, you know, too far separated from Morton Downey Jr. back in the day. And I guarantee no. you. But anyway, long story short. You know, it's a different world, and, uh, you know, we get to see the late night and the talk show circuit here, so it's kind of cool. And a guest, Strike Force Moratori. Yeah, and just uh, one more thing. I mean, in the age of the internet and just constant media, there's no need for them anymore, these oh, late no. night shows. I mean, it used to be where you'd get information. It's like, oh, there's a new movie coming out. Uh, you know, oh, Harrison Ford's going to give an interview about the new movie he's in. It's like, you don't need that now. No, he can he can do that from his basement with his own exactly. Skype account. Yeah, for sure. So it's like these things are so unnecessary now. All they are is I don't even know what they are now. They don't really have a purpose other than, you know, uh, commentary. And uh, who needs it? Um, But, yeah, this is a uh, different time. And our guests, as you mentioned, are Strike Force Moratory. These are our third genders that we've uh, grown uh, to know and uh, I guess like. Um, now, our new artist, John Callamy, he gets his first shot at drawing these folks, and, uh, well, it's a lot better than that Hugh guy from Issue oh, 21. Boy. Wow. That's sort yeah. of damning with faint praise, but it's, uh, it's, I guess, the nicest thing we can say at the moment. Yeah, I'll, listen, I'll say it, it's better, there's no question yeah. about that, but it's very, um, it's, it's inspired, we'll say. It looks like he, <laughs> looks like he's got a stack of magazines, and he's taking poses, and like photos, and he just simply redoes them with just moratory. So, you know, he'll have yeah. a lady sitting there with her legs crossed, and all of a sudden he'll make her brava. You know yep. what I mean? <laughs> that, that's exactly what's going here. I mean, um, his, his character work is not bad at all. So, no. But 
His distinct lack of background is what uh, what I'm talking about. So clearly, the man is not a background detailer. You know what I mean? Take a look at some of the scenes. If you have that book in front of you guys, take a look at his moratory lab. I mean, literally, his moratory labs went from the highly detailed look that Brent Anderson had to a series of monitors and some screens and, and like a bed in the middle of the floor. Like there's that's nothing <laughs> that's in this lab. So tech is pretty much downplayed and gone. And like it's what a contrast to Anderson's work. It's just amazing how far yeah. the uh, the art has, has gone. But anyway, it's not too bad. What I once what I will say is that compared to issue 21, I like the fact that everybody's actually clothes like fit their body. I guess that's uh, that's one thing that I'll, <laughs> I'll add as a compliment here. So. <laughs> It's true, and uh, yeah, the, the faces uh, are are okay. Uh, there is like a like a weird, like you said, he po- like posed pictures here. There's like an odd mannequinness to uh, the uh, to the characters. Oh, there's not real absolutely. much. There's no there's no spark in the eyes. You know, there's no life here. These, nope. uh, but but at least we can tell who we're looking at, which is a definite improvement on uh, last last time out. But uh, we learn here that Brava is now the team leader. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it looks like Shear's time at the helm was rather short-lived, which uh, I, I don't know why. It seemed like he was doing a pretty good job from what we can remember. Um, now, Danny, the host of the show, he asked Brava about herself, and we learned a little bit about her. We learned that she was born and raised in a small town, and she was living in Barcelona when she decided to join up with the Moratori. Uh, from here, we, we segue right back into uh, Dan's narration. Dan, of course, from the beginning of the issue. So we've got a Dan and a Danny in this issue. So there's one, there's there's this this snag number one, but we'll try to do our best to keep them straight. And also, it might be a little bit more helpful if our newbies, Dan and Jason, didn't look identical. Oh, my God. I I just don't understand. Like, yeah. Anyway, I I guess we'll find out more as the story goes on. But uh, these guys are like clones of each other. Like, same hair, same face. It's... They're like yeah. the Fett brothers, <laughs> Django and Boba. <laughs> they look very, very similar. Um, <laughs> now, Dan, he's uh, he's giving a narration here, and he speaks of his hometown, which is a place called Pinecrest, Utah. And we learn that there he was dating a woman named Janet. Now, before we move on here, the last time we left Dr. Tulema, he was asking Jason to tell his story because because he was a Hordian uh, hostage. He's like, hey, I don't know about that. Tell me that story. But now we're getting Dan's. <laughs> and and again, I mean, we can't stress this enough. They look so much alike. I had to read this book twice because I didn't realize that we were reading about the other guy the first time through. Oh, man. Listen, exactly what's going on here. Clearly, they wanted to tell this story of, you know, a guy with a, you know, in a dystopian future who lost everything because mm-hmm. of the horde and all that stuff. And they didn't really want to use uh, Jason's story. So all of a sudden they had to create another guy who's exactly yeah. the same and just create create the story that they wanted to tell. Wouldn't they have added that to Dan's story or Jason's story, I should say, and just elaborated on it? This is why I, you know, sure. ran into this. Sure. No, no, they have two exact same type you know, white bread, <laughs> yeah. white bread uh, baby faces here. And it, anyway, this all seems to be cutting room floor material, definitely from issue 21. To me, this should have been clued up with like Jason telling his story to Tulima and, mm-hmm. you know, which who's, <laughs> I mean, they didn't even explain Tulima's ex- appearance here, to be quite honest with you. So I don't know. We should, they should have had his story, but cut it off and, you know, just fit the tale. But instead we have two creative teams at work. Clearly, 
not touching base with one another. So you get drops and narrative all over the place. Hence, you get Dan and Jason. And I mean, yeah. two guys are, you know, they're ready to become fully moratorized and we have to fill in the fill in all the gaps with our head cannon, for God's sake. This is just a mess. It is. It's like it's like almost they should have had they should have wrapped up last issue with Jason like it's like telling like wrapping up with Jason talking to Taliman. He's like, and that's my story. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Something like that. But but, but, uh, but instead they just get lost. Oh man, yeah. I don't know. Because that that might have even had a little bit of uh, oomph to it. It's like, oh wait, Talima's back. How did that happen? And then we find out here how he came back. But no, that was not gonna happen. Yes, we're giving him too much credit for that. We're giving them way too much. So back to Dan here. He's talking about his uh, his love interest, Janet, and they are being all lovey dovey on the couch. Uh, but Dan has to go to bed because uh, he's got work early in the morning. Dan has to go to bed in his sterile white perfect house. <laughs> Oh, my God. Like, when I say this guy has not drawn background details, like, they're sitting on a couch with barely a crease or a ripple in it. Everything is perfectly groomed in place. There is no clutter. There's, like, it's... <laughs> it's like it's, a it's, Flintstones couch. It's made out of stone. It is. It is. Everything's immaculate. Like, they have little pictures <laughs> positioned. It is like a... Uh, you know how you stage a house for show when you go to yep. sell it? Mm-hmm. It is. It looks like it's a stage set, but everything is serene and white. I mean, I don't know. John Callamy, just... agent of Remax. <laughs> it's true, yes. <laughs> but you got the Dan House, you got the Stock Show Studio, and the Tulima Labs, and they're all stark white. I mean, literally, what's happening here? Are we too cheap for color? Did we lose the budget? Did they cut out budget? You know. <laughs> The first thing that's got to go is background colors right here. You guys don't have enough making enough money off moratory. I spilled five bottles of ink. Can't replace them. Sorry. <laughs> that's uh, exactly what happened. So Dan's got to get to bed because even though he lives in Pinecrest, it is such a small town that there are no jobs there. So he works in, uh, I guess, sort of kind of nearby Salt Lake City, the next biggest, biggest city over. Um, now, Janet laughingly suggests that he sign up to join the moratory, but Ooh. he's not feeling it. She's like, hey, you might you could just become a moratory. And he's like, well, I, then I would die in a year. And they, they both giggle. But uh, we cut that scene and we head right back to the Danny Reeves show where Sheer, like an asshole, just slices some flowers in a vase on the set. He's like, <laughs> and th- this is the most badass thing he'll do the entire issue. He's is, upset uh, that he's not he's not the not the head guy anymore. Must so be. He cuts, he cuts up his flowers on live TV. He just slices flowers. Uh, <laughs> but we do learn something pretty interesting about him here. Uh, we learn that his costume, the costume that he's wearing, is based on the Punisher. Ooh. How about that? Well, what do you think? Do you think it actually? Uh, to me, it could. Be, I can see its influence from the Punisher's. You know, one of his other. Uh, one of his, early, you know, newer costumes. It's sort of are, Scully, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of Scully. But one of the things is that I see here is that he looks like, you remember when Superman, after he died, he came back and you had the whole, you know, the four Superman thing and Superman yeah. came back with the long hair. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, this looks like if Punisher died and came back as four separate characters, he would be, <laughs> <laughs> he would be Mr. Seth Rollins here. But boy, <laughs> did he get a D push here, man. This creative team has no use for the human lawnmower. So I don't no, know. Certainly not. Now, I don't have the issue in front of me, but. Now, are they suggesting that the Punisher was a character of the past, or was he a was he still a fictional character of the past? I, I like is, is no. He, 
I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately. I left it in the next room over, but I wonder if if they're are they talking about the Punisher as a actual hero vigilante who lived on this earth, or just one that they read about? So I, I that's uh one thing I that, should have taken better notes about. <laughs> that is too interesting, and I'm going to have the answer in just shortly. Just continue on. Oh, very good, very good. Now, our man Sheer here, he starts rambling about just what a tough guy he is because, you know, he did just chop up some flowers. Uh, <laughs> but a silencer decides to interrupt him, but we're not sure if she actually used her silencing power or, or just said shut up. But uh, we kind of hope she did use the uh, silencing power and just, you know, you know, you know shut him up here. Uh <laughs> Now, Silencer says that she hopes to make the world safe again for lovers. Ah, what I like about this, to me, this is my favorite, visually anyway, my (laughs) favorite version of Ayaka or whatever her name is. I mean, facially, it's one of the, it's the best version of her I've seen in any issue, even, even Anderson. I I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, there's something very well done about her look here, which, which tells me that he's just ripping off, uh, you know. Fashion magazines. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Because she, she's a very beautiful woman. No, no. As she said, she wants to make the world safe for lovers, which sounds like a segue to us. Uh, and it is, in fact, the perfect segue <laughs> back to Dan and Janet. Uh, it's the next day. You know, Dan had to get to bed for work. So he's he's up in the morning and he's getting ready to head off to his job. However, before he leaves, he very casually asked Janet to marry him. He's like, Look hey, hey look at you, boy. He married his it? best friend. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's like we're having a little ditty about Jack and Diane here. Um, <laughs> she accepts also casually. It's like, eh, you know, well, why not? Sure. We live together. Why not? Uh, but then she gets up close and whispers in his ear that she just received some good news. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, we've got we've got a lot of good happening right now, which really doesn't bode well for anybody, does it? I mean, they're just two American kids growing up in the heartland. So, I mean, it's OK, <laughs> but it's it's a you know, this is basically a two for one sale for the horde here. I mean, they conceived this <laughs> child. Think about where they conceived it in this beautiful white bedroom yes. with like the, the single picture frame on the wall containing. Yes, that's right. A picture of them, because that's how creative they are. <laughs> Just making love on this beautiful uncreased bed. I mean, it must have been bliss. <laughs> it must have been, yeah. yeah. Every, every movement a dream, yes. <laughs> now, we hop back to Moratory HQ here, and we're in a darkened boardroom. So when the room isn't white, it is black. Um, or, or a shade of green. It's actually green. <laughs> it's Game Boy colored, yeah. You, you uh, remember, the, remember the old monitors for... Um, for like you know your old computer screens that weighed about 700 pounds like you had that that green tint yeah, right? that, that the glow. entire room yep. has that cast of green glow around it it's hilarious now we're in this room where we see some Padilla VIPs they're chatting about their moratory problem which is to say that these super folks that they've created are kind of hard to control ah no crap yeah go figure now, they decide maybe it would be best if they orchestrate some ways in order to keep the heroes occupied, maybe to keep their eyes off the prize. Ah, see that? So this is actually this is actually a big revelation here. So what we find out is that these, I guess these are Pidea businessmen, or at or least execs, in cahoots with yeah. them, yeah, or execs. So they're profiting from this war. So it's to their advantage to have, you know, the moratory and the horde fighting because they're they're mm-hmm. making cash behind the scenes and it's one of the, you know, the the great errors of the American dream, you know what I mean? Cuz people can make money off of all kinds of crap. And of course, sure. they're utilizing war here. So, 
they have no, they have a vested interest in keeping the war going. I mean, they they're looking at the horde attacks and they don't think they have much seriousness to them. You know, they're of little consequence and they're contained. It's just you know a bomb here or something dropped. You know, <laughs> this is basically you know human human collateral we're talking about here. Like the minimal losses at stake. So every death is a, an opportunity. Yeah. Yes, they are going to find stuff for the moratorium to do. They're going to keep them piddling around in the background and making media appearances to keep them busy. Just to make money off this whole war, it's it's insane, and you know what? It's one of the better storyline developments we get out of the entire series here right yeah. now because we see exactly what's happening here. Because if we were we were told that the horde were like a ragtag group, they've been splintered off. You know what I mean? They've been on the run for quite a while. So why didn't they put the final nail in their coffin? Well, they're exactly. making money from it. You know, why do we not cure cancer? Because there's too much money to be made from it. You know, it's the same situation here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, oh, there's... Up, update on the Punisher suit. Yes. Ready for this? Hit so me. Sheer, this this comes from Sheer himself. He goes, <laughs> my costume is based on the 20th century comic book hero. Ah, okay. He was called the Punisher. Okay, so the Punisher did not live on Earth 1287. So he was a comic book character for their pleasure. Mm-hmm. He was on now, stands right next to the 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 uh, Black Watch comic. <laughs> Only one issue. Um, <laughs> now we hop back to the uh, Danny Reeves show, and it's Hard Case's turn to make a fool out of himself on live television. He touts his hardening powers and confirms that they extend to his penis. <laughs> Ladies. This character is a one joke. That's it. That's it. It's, it's a one note joke. Right yeah. <laughs> so he's, he can make things rock hard. It's awesome. Yeah. And that and that extends to my anatomy, ladies. It's come on. Dude. Uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, some of the dudes are going. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Now we also have another dude here. It is Harold Faux Harold himself, Gregory Mattingly. Mm. Now he tells his tale about his time on the Moratory soap opera, and now he how happy he is that he actually wound up joining the team. Now. Oh. Yeah, so he's he's happy, he's pleased, and uh, you know what happens to happy people in this book? Nothing <laughs> good. Gonna, that boy gonna change his mind. He gonna change soon. his mind. <laughs> <laughs> Scene shift. We're up in the Horde cruiser. There we go. Which is reflective of that cover we talked about earlier. Now, this month's Hordean redesign gives the baddies like these weird insect-like legs, like they have like two like disjointed knees, kind of like. Yep. Like if you have like a very thin dog or if you look like a grasshopper, it looks kind of like that. Um, and also they have fleshy dreadlocks. So uh, there's that, which is pretty gross. At least the whiskers are gone. Yeah, well, I think we're seeing here that we're seeing a lot of experimentation with the like the horde are literally experimenting on themselves. You know what I mean? Yes. So have I they adapted so. these moratory, you know, um, have they stolen the moratory formula and trying to experiment on their own people? But it seems like these experiments are working out to their favor. So good for them. Yeah, they, they're, they're looking for the answer to the moratorium and uh, they think they might've found it. And uh, maybe here we go again. Here's me. Here's me laying down some explanations <laughs> for garbage. Maybe that those horde we seen in the last issue that were cross blended with cats were part of their process as well. Maybe that wasn't a art mistake. <laughs> I think we'll go with that. We'll, we'll yeah, go okay, with yeah. That. We'll, we'll we'll give that one to Hugh Thomas. He was a you're he was welcome. Thomas. Yes. <laughs> um, now we find out that these Hordians have been specifically trained to fight a particular moratory member. There you and go. 
what better time to strike than when they're on the Danny Reeves show? You see, their plan is to kill the moratory on live television, and then they'll kick off, quote, phase two, whatever that is. We'll find out. Now, we hop back to Dan's story. He arrived to work that day in Salt Lake City. Uh, uh, it looks like he's like a legal accountant or something like that. Um, so, he's some, something something white meat and boring for sure. Yes, something yeah something something very workaday and watch the clock. Matches uh, matches his house. It does. It does. That's <laughs> it's where he gets all of his style. Now he's called into his boss's office where he's given you know a little bit of a jokey like oh what are we gonna do with you and then he's given a raise. Look so, at you. Uh, yeah, so I mean, he's uh, he's gonna be married. He's about to be a father. He got a ra- all that's left for Dan to do today is win the lottery. You know, uh, this is you, you, gonna... you just know he's gonna get the jelly of the month club. You just oh, know that it's happening. Oh yes, he's, he's got the the greatest thing going on here. Uh, we jump up to 5 p.m. and Dan heads home for the day. Right around this time, the horde is prepping for that phase two, which involves bombing several cities in the United States. As we jump back to Moratory HQ and the Padilla continue to scheme. So it seems as though they're going to try to control the Horde in hopes that they'll also be able to control the Moratory. So, you know, as as we mentioned before, extra dimensional war is good business and uh, they like to keep it going as long as they can. They're milking it. Definitely. Yeah. So we jump back to Dan. He stops to put gas in his angular future car, which is. (laughs) And he's driving on a perfectly groomed road with not another car in front of his view. And the speed limit sign is, oh, man, like you talk about lack of detail. The car inside, folks, is Mm -hmm. actually white, serene white with a blue steering wheel. This is a this is a this is Krypton. (laughs) This is sterile (laughs) Krypton that we're on here. Oh, boy. So he's pumping. We don't know if it's gas. We don't know what kind of fuel uh, works in an angular, you know, beautiful, pristine future car. But uh, maybe it's just it's pure oxygen because you don't have to draw that. Um, Now, he notices a billboard for the moratory, which urges the folks to get tested and join the fight. Now, from here, the issue sort of goes cinematic, which uh, is is a pretty good thing. Um, We zip between scenes of the Danny Reeves show to the impending horde attack. And also to back to Dan Baker driving home to his beloved and expecting bride-to-be. Now, Janet, his lo- beloved and expecting bride-to-be, is actually watching the Danny Reeves show at this moment. And she, she comments that Shear's kind of a dickhead. And she's right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Suddenly, the show turns off and the station puts up a please stand by notice. And the moratory in the studio, they, they kind of have a pretty good idea what's up, and they prepare for battle. Now, that please stand by notice is taken off the screen, and it's replaced by a live feed of what's going down in the studio. And it's a moratory super horde throwdown. Meanwhile... Boy, boy yeah. is it ever. I mean, one of the super hordes, they're going right after the beautiful Akaya. I mean, they're going right yes. after Silencer with the, with the big mace. So he gets his giant mace ball. And I mean, this thing is huge. This could wreck a building, folks. And they've got like the mm-hmm. spikes on it, classic barbarian style. But they're coming for they're coming for blood on this show. So They are. They're on, how, do, how do you silence a mace? I don't know that you can do that. <laughs> uh, you can no, just get please. rid of... You can get rid of the... Whoop, <laughs> <laughs> that'll fix you. Yeah. Swings it. Yep. 
Now, meanwhile, up in space, the Horde cruiser aims a pair of meteors at Earth, just like on the cover. So there's there we have these meteors. It might be more than two. I think they're because I think they're bombing like three or four cities at once here. But there are these like rockets attached to these meteors that are going to just shoot these suckers down and uh, cause great devastation. Now, the Super Horde in the studio, they're doing an uncharacteristically bang up job against the heroes. And it almost looks like they might just win this one. Now, for once, thank God, right? because I mean, right now, well, well, we've we been jobbed. That, we've been found out that these ones, these particular Hordians, have been manufactured to meet individual oratory. Yeah. So they they brought the fight to them, man. So this is for the first time a battle on even you know even playing field. And even the moratory, they don't even they don't even seem like they're ready. They can't use their regular tactics against them because these guys. Are neutralizing each one of their powers. So absolutely, yeah. They, they are thought the they thought this one out. Mm-hmm. So we rejoin Dan for a panel at, on his drive home, and one of those meteors flies overhead. So I, I wonder, I wonder where it's headed. Um, <laughs> back Somewhere in the, white, that's for sure. Very likely. Back in the studio, foe Harold backhand. He begins to glow. And uh, we, knew, we knew he was having too good of a day. He was having a great day. He was so happy about his lot in life. But uh, we know what that means. And uh, the poor fella pops, succumbing to yeah. the moratory process, leaving behind only a black smear on the pristine white studio floor. Now, you know, usually they vanish. Yep. So the fact that he left a black smear, I don't know what was uh, you know, <laughs> what was what was contained within his suit that didn't dissolve. But uh, it was clearly something. It's it's like uh, it's like you were doing donuts in the uh, parking lot. It's like <laughs> what you left. Uh, now back to the horde. One hordian condemns another for failure to aim the meteor properly. You see, they were supposed to be hitting a the larger Salt Lake City, Utah, and instead it actually was wind up hitting this much smaller uh, town a short distance away. Uh, any guesses which one this might be? Well, I think this might be Dan's hometown. My God. Mm. Now, the boss Hordian murders the worker Hordian for his error. <laughs> Just not messing around. It's like, I got no time for you. Dead. This is this is a uh, the shooter Hordian, we'll call it. Yes. <laughs> we jump back to Dan, who uh, who's just crashed his car. He stumbles through the newly smoldering ruins of his hometown, which is, of course, Pinecrest, Utah. It's worth noting that the Horde meteor bombed two other American cities at the very same time. Uh, now, while the moratory back at the studio gained the upper hand in that battle, Dan procures a motorcycle from a dead guy in order to finish his trip home to Janet. Well, we probably don't need to. Uh, this isn't much of a <laughs> shock, but uh, she didn't make it. Well, what I find funny is when he he steals now the motorcycle is orange, bright orange. <laughs> yes. And there's a guy. What's funny? Uh, and I don't know if it's funny or not, but we see the guy who fell off the bike. Okay. So he's lying on his back mm-hmm. in a puddle in a puddle of blood. And when you see Dan rolling away on the uh, on the bike. The guy is lying on his stomach and has got his head on the ground. So I don't, I don't know if he rolled him over and stole his wallet or I don't know what he did. But uh, I don't think the, even the artists are even looking at their uh, their artwork at this point. <laughs> he wasn't quite as dead as we thought. He's like, come on, dude, that's my motorcycle. Uh, now we jump back to the studio and Brava is absolutely pummeling Ohordian like she is pounding his face into hamburger meat oh yeah fists of blood fists of blood 
Big time, big time. So the Moratory ultimately won this fight, but, of course, not without casualties, since we did lose Foe Harold. Now we jump back to Dan as he sits among the ruins and death, and uh, he is just sobbing and wondering what's next. And uh, as if, uh, you know, fate would have it be, a paper flyer floats into view, and uh, it states, join the Moratory. It also states, be a hero. Defend Mother Earth, avenge your loved ones, which uh, I think you just said the magic wide. Yes, sir. And I don't know who this moratory is. I guess it's Greg, who's on the uh, on the cover of this. It's a blonde film. guy, yeah. Yeah, some blonde guy in like a white suit. Uh, it doesn't look exactly like one of our members. Like right anybody, now, but, yeah. Yeah. So maybe they just made up another guy for the flyer, which is another story all the way around. So. <laughs> Now, we wrap up this issue back with Dr. Tulema, who is just about to put Dan through the process. And as always, Dr. Tulema asks if he's sure, because doing so is akin to committing suicide. And Dan is cool with it. And we wrap up with him suggesting that what he's about to do is commit a long suicide. Ooh, look Got at the that. title in there. You yeah. talk about pulling it all together there. So, I mean, we had the scene from the cover featured in the book. We got the name of the book, like the actual name of the issue within the, the text of the, the book mm-hmm. itself. I mean, these guys were right on their toes. Big time. You know, and they even used some color right at the very last couple pages <laughs> when, they, when they were showing poor Dan and his house. They, they must have found a, a yellow marker or something and did some they yellow and reds there. Yeah, they had a highlighter. But, uh, but anyway, then they show the next issue, which is, <laughs> which is black and white. Yep. <laughs> I guess they use it all at this point. And it's a, it's a pretty cool image. They don't tell you what the name of it is or what's about to happen, but you see a bunch of horde look like hunters, I guess. And they mm-hmm. knocked over a elephant. An elephant, and, yeah. Yeah, and the moratory are flying towards them. So, or the new couple moratory that are left. So, interesting mm-hmm. cover. It looks looks really good, actually. Yeah, the next issue is going to be called Castles of Fire, Rivers of Blood. So, uh, oh, there you go. And so we uh, we will look forward to that. But uh, you know, um, I, I gotta say this wasn't this wasn't bad. I mean, nope. it definitely had its uh, had its issues because. I think that probably I think this was just so much better than what we got last issue that I'm being a little bit more forgiving of its flaws Um, because while it pulls everything together at the end, it's missing a lot of the requisite nuts and bolts of a story. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we don't know. We don't know where some people came from, where they went for the longest time. And this might just be me being dense, a case of me being dense here, but. I thought we were reading Jason's story at first. Uh, I, it was, it took me a few times to realize, oh wait, this isn't Jason we're reading about. This is Dan, um, because they look so much alike. And the the whole narration started by with Doctor Tulema saying, "Jason, tell me your story." So uh, I thought we were reading Jason's story, and uh, we were <laughs> no, not. We were, <laughs> no, we were doing Dan's. But that that scene, like you said, tell me tell your story, Jason, should have been the ending. Of issue 21, but instead yes. we got, you know, we got messed up. Whose story are we reading? If you weren't paying attention, you'd think this was all Jason's story. They're exactly yeah. the same, you mm-hmm. know. I don't know. I don't know. And we know Lots so of- little about Jason other than the fact that he joined up with the Padilla and he was a Hordian hostage. We don't know anything about his life before that. Um, yeah, you're right. You're so right. I mean, this it could just as easily have been him. And 
And it was like, oh, wait, Jason left the room, I guess. <laughs> or did he listen to this? <laughs> Who knows? But, uh, yeah, I mean, there was there were definitely uh, uh, some some issues with the uh, with the story flow and with the nuts and bolts. But, oh, man, I uh, after last issue, I was afraid that this was going to be not not so much a slog, but a painful slog. And uh, this no, wasn't this wasn't that no. bad. This this was a six five out of ten right here. This sure, was not. Sure. This was Passable. definitely sir. Yeah, definitely serviceable, definitely readable. You know, some big happenings. We had a death of a moratory. Mm-hmm. We we got introduced to two. You know what I mean? We got to see yeah. two new recruits in the in their early stages. So I mean, there's a bit of stuff going on. We got to see the horde finally getting their crap together. So for sure, for sure. So yeah, we're uh, we're picking things up here and. And we still have questions that need answered. Uh, we know what happened at the end of issue 20. Uh, Talima and uh, Guy Harding, they sent up a signal. And uh, we don't know if that signal's been been heard or been heeded by another alien race. I wonder if there are going to be another uh, race of aliens joining our fight. The Melmachians are will be coming down. <laughs> I kill me. <laughs> well done. Hey, will we? <laughs> there you go that's everybody's elf impression right there summed up those that's are the it. two the two lines you got it well done and i just hope he comes and eats those damn cats that we read about there <laughs> from potassio's issue there oh boy <laughs> that, that would be hilarious that would <laughs> if you were trying to put the final nail in this one you would have the melmachians <laughs> come to their rescue for sure <laughs> no, no you know uh last issue we had a letters page which was very optimistic uh scarily optimistic about the direction of the book here where it's like oh you know the uh, you know brent and uh brent and peter are gone but wait till you see uh <laughs> the rest of this book um <laughs> just wait <laughs> oh boy this time out we don't even get a letters page so i guess the uh yeah, i guess the jig was up um we do however have bullpen bulletins which boy yeah we do uh <laughs> We get a quote of the month. You want to hit them with this quote of the month? The quote of the month says, Always figured we X-Men live charm lives, and no matter what we'd pull through, live forever. The joke was sure on me. Kitty Pride. That's my worst Kitty Pride. That was a great I sh- I Kitty should, Pride. I, I should have read that it was Kitty Pride before I went into uh, you know my uh, my accent there. But anyway. I closed my eyes and I pictured her. I thought yeah, she, was, she's, yeah, she's the beefier Kitty Pride. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Carl she's, Pride. That's yeah. Carl Pride. Yes, for sure. Shadow dog. (laughs) (laughs) And that was from Excalibur issue number one. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about Excalibur in a bit, but uh, we do have some bullpen news items. First one. Jesus Christ. More editor shuffling. Oh, DeFalco was at the end of his list of the uh, the shooter regime. I hope so. There's only three left that I have to disassemble. And and poor... I'm Josh and James Giovanni and advising <laughs> Andrew Perry and sassy Sarah Tushinsky have all been shuffled. Yes, they are now assistant editors at Marvel dun, Comics. Dun, dun, look at that. I only hope that this is the end of the. I, I couldn't put. I wouldn't bet money uh, that like in eight weeks we're still going to be talking about editors changing offices and uh, and you know uh, Josh Josh and James stole sassy Sarah's lunch from the, the you know break room fridge and uh, agonizing Andrew drank uh, drank uh, what's a uh, Terry Cavanaugh's almond milk or something I, <laughs> God douchebags totally totally um, another news item we have a Marvel wedding mm. Jeff Isherwood takes a wife 
So boy, uh, don't get don't get too comfortable, Jeffrey. <laughs> Mazel tov, Jeff. Um, another item is Marvel babies. Uh, Jackson and Julie Geis have themselves a baby girl. Ron and Cindy Wagner also have a daughter. So, uh, uh, you know, this is they, those children are now 22 years old. So, oh my God. Uh, Right. Thir- no, no, no. They're th- are they 32? Oh boy, we need they're an thir- update. Yeah, they're 32 years old. So these are living, breathing humans that probably have children of their own. So, uh, yikes! You feel old yet? Um, man, man. That's, yeah, that's a little sobering, isn't it? Uh, now I'm questioning everything I've done with my life since 1988. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, for better or for worse, we have a profile, and. Uh, if you thought we had some stinkers before, buckle up. Uh, this is Terry Cavanaugh. Um, his gig is he's the editor on Marvel Comics Presents, Ooh. Excalibur, Speedball, Wolfpack. Hey! Oh, oh my. The hits <laughs> and, keep rolling. And Hero. I'm not sure what Hero is, but... Uh, I, I don't know eh, either. Something. But but listen, this particular year, 1988, I was all in on all the comics that were listed here. So I bought Excalibur, and I bought that bad boy for about two years without enjoying even a single issue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, here's what I'm going to admit. I'm going to admit this on the air, and it's probably no secret to anyone who actually knows me, but I loved Speedball, and I wanted so badly for this book to be good. And I could tell Marvel was just patting Ditko on the back, you know, it, the whole idea was that it was a favor to DeFalco and it sent him, you know, and Tom was like, okay, send Ditko over in the corner and draw a hero. You know, they had no intentions of continue to publish Speedball. Let's be quite honest. <laughs> I remember picking Speedball number one. I was actually excited to pick this book up. I mm-hmm. saw a couple ads. I couldn't wait. I heard about it was going to be Ditko coming back on the book. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Anyway, I read Speedball number one. Now get this. I read it in a sewer pipe. <laughs> Don't ask. It was, we used to, when we came from the store, we used to walk home and there was a large Culver sewer pipe that you could literally walk through. You could stand up and you could walk through it. Okay. And and right at the end, it it was dry. Nothing ever went through it or nothing. But anyway, myself and my buddy who I collected comics with, we just sat down and we read comics there for about three hours and Speedball number one was read in a sewer pipe. And how apropos was that? But anyway, (laughs) this, for those who don't know, I mean, this was supposed to be Ditko's, you know update to spider-man like Follow he was up, he, yeah. yeah he was throwing all all out there but when you really got down to the meat and potatoes of speedball it had a rotten and i mean rotten rogues gallery i mean it was something out of time and place i couldn't art, tell you yeah oh my god there was a rat with a machine gun there was a ghost of uh, one of the high schools it was just like Very scooby-doo cool. villains is what you had there basically okay. uh the art style Ditko at this time, I mean, he was fresh off drawing coloring books. So, I mean, he was doing Transformers. He was doing Star Comics. He did Chuck Norris and the Karate <laughs> Commandos, Chris, okay? Yes. Chuck Norris, which I bought those two as well. Uh, but anyway, it was only only not long after this where Ditko, you know, he was unceremoniously dumped by Marvel. And, of course, they couldn't wait to export Speedball. All the other books now at this time, get this. They always featured Spider-Man. They always featured the second Wolverine issue, yeah. in mm-hmm. the second issue. And they, you know, if it still wasn't selling, they piled them all in. They had three. They had four of them. Yep. Speedball had nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. They could not wait to kill this character off and get him gone. So anyway, <laughs> sad to say, but poor Ditko was out the door. So was Speedball. But I would not be lost because 
New Warriors brought Speedball back. So I really, really like that. But then I had to endure Mark Bagley's art, which we will all tie it all together. Nice and neat with a bow here <laughs> on Moratory Monday. So there you go. Yes, yeah, Speedball ran for 10 issues. Um, Never even yes. made a year. And uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, by the yeah, – uh, Steve Ditko did the whole run, it looks like here. Um, oh, he did, yes. Yeah, wow. Uh, written by Mary Jo Duffy, so – uh, yeah, I'm. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, I've. The thing with Speedball is, I really, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about the uh, the series. Uh, I, anytime I find it in like a cheapo bin, it's always issue number two. I always see <laughs> Speedball number two. Um, You're not wrong. I'm not sure I've ever seen uh, Speedball number one with my with my live human eyes, but. Uh, <laughs> But I could definitely see how um, someone who was into comics and Marvel comics would be excited for this because it was a new character and new characters are are, are interesting uh, inherently. And it's uh, definitely, you know, looking at it with our 2020 eyes here, that's not something we get. You know, no. we, we it was, don't it get was a throwback. If you're looking sure. for a throwback series, if you're a fan of the original Ditko Spider-Man, then Speedball was exactly that. Literally. Mm-hmm. They had cartoony, you know, cartoony rogues gallery. They had all the bells and the whistles with his own drama going on at home. His parents were fighting all the time and on the verge of a divorce. And, you know, there was all kinds of different meat and potatoes. The the regular hallmarks of, uh, you know, the Marvel style was all in this one. But uh, it was way out of date. You know, we're talking about a time period when we're just coming off Watchmen. We're just finishing yeah. up Dark Knight. Nobody wanted this on the stands, man. It it struck me a lot like when I see an issue of Speedball or when I see Speedball number two in the cheapo bin, uh, it always kind of reminds me of um, those Impact comics from DC. Right on the nail, sir. Yeah, right on the nail. Yep. Like just like they look cool, they look colorful, they look clean, but they definitely weren't what people were looking for at that time. Nay, um, nay, nay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he did come back in the New Warriors, which was a which was a decent little series. The old, the old heroes for the '90s. Um, oh yeah, man, the first 20, 25 issues again of uh, New Warriors was really good stuff. I loved everything they did. So I was a huge New Warriors fan. Uh, it's funny. Uh, back a couple of years ago, uh, Reggie and I covered the first issue of New Warriors on the treadmill, and um, our buddy uh, Dave Lava Hog. Um, we, that, this was the first time I ever talked to Dave, uh, and he sent us a message saying that he, he enjoyed the episode and that he loved the New Warriors up until issue like 20 something. He's yep. like, and then after that, it fell off a cliff. And we had tagged Fabian Nisiesa on the episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Fabian wrote back, he's like, you know, I'm right here, right? <laughs> <laughs> well done. It's like, well, you know, you got to call a spade a spade, I guess. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Past freelance credits for Mr. Terry Cavanaugh, since that is who we are assembled to learn about here today. He did Animax and your favorite, Kickers Incorporated. Yeah, there's Kickers Inc. again, baby. Now, I will admit to another thing. I have every issue of Animax as well. (laughs) So So Animax was Animax. Oh, boy. It's one of those combinations. So... Just to make things clear, so Mass came out 
in mm-hmm. the uh, in the well mid eighties. Mid eighties. Okay. Yeah. And they in created 90s. these these minifigure toy lines. So these were not your standard there. They were not the size of your GI Joes. They were not the size of your Migos. You know, they had this really really weird minifigure thing. So you get okay. to see like other lines came out. You had Dino Riders. You had Sky Commanders. And Animax was another one of these. So basically, small little figure with a giant you know animal style vehicle. And, you know, they fought like an alien insect horde. And it, that was the whole deal behind Animax. It was literally just a toy book. There was nothing redeemable whatsoever about the thing. It didn't last for long. It maybe have maybe two to three issues tops. But, okay. Uh, it was it was hot garbage, man. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the figures here, and they, they don't look great. No, they're they're really really they're they're dollar store items, man. To be quite honest with you, that's that's the that's the size of it. They didn't have the detail of like a Air Raiders or you know a Sky Commanders or even Mask. You know what I mean? So mm. they were just something to put out, man, and fill some space on the toy counters at the time, trying to cash in on these mini figures, which didn't catch on at all outside of Mask. I mean, pretty well every single one of them. I mean, Dino Riders had their own TV show on the Marvel. Uh, Marvel cartoon block. The action there. hour or whatever, yeah. Yeah, the action hour. So Dino Riders was there for a little while. And same with Mask, but outside of that, everything else was uh, was miserable failures, honestly. Yeah, the only minifigure thing that I ever got into was those uh they were kind of like die cast uh, figures for Star Wars. Oh yeah. Um, oh my god, yes. Yeah, I, I still got them in the like in the garage. I've got like uh Micro Machines, the the micro machine line. No, this is before. This is back from uh, the original trilogy, um, where there oh. the the actual figurines were like lead and die cast. You could probably, you know, contract a disease by holding them. <laughs> but uh, like they come with these like really neat sets. Like uh, I know there's one that I have where it's the carbonite uh, chamber. So like you'd put a Han Solo that's like t- like bound. Uh, on the little platform and you drop it down you'd spin it you'd lift yeah. it back up and it's him in the carbonite uh you know frozen in the carbonite you know shell looks kind of like a like a little mini chocolate bar <laughs> the were toy. they were they not were they not distributed through micro machines no this is before different? that this was uh-huh. like uh probably boy i had these when i was very little so probably very early 80s um i'm familiar with the micro machines ones but those were all uh those were mostly uh, vehicles and there were some figurines there, but these were maybe like uh, probably like an inch tall. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll post I'll, some I know, pictures. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I just thought they were all micro machine based, but I guess not. Okay, yeah, no, they're oh, I know, I know, I know why, I know why, because they were called the Star Wars Micro Collection, not Micro Machines. That's where I'm screwing ah, up. Okay, were, yeah, yeah, and I loved those things. Those things were were a lot of fun. You couldn't, they weren't, they were not articulated because they were metal. I'm but, looking uh, at them right now. I'm taking a look at Star Wars Micro Collection. Exactly. Yep. Oh, those were awesome. Yeah, they they are very neat. I I and I have like I, I probably lost most of the figures, but uh, but uh, you know I those were the ones I I really got into. Um, after the the regular you know three and three quarter inch Kenner ones, I I got get these two and they were just. Really, really cool. Uh, what did they say? 34 oh, millimeter is what they Oh, are. yeah. They had a great Hoth planet, and they had yep. a uh, – oh, man. They had a ton of stuff here. Death Star. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Wow. Cool. Very cool. I didn't have yeah. the I, – I didn't have those. I always had the standard stuff. And you can connect them together, too, which was cool. Because, oh. like, you have, like, uh, the Carbonite set would link up to, like, that that one set with the giant window where uh, Luke and uh, Darth Vader, you know, dueled in Empire. Oh. I was all about compatibility. Love that stuff. And then that one would link to the one where where Luke got his hand chopped off, so he'd be like nice. holding on to that antenna, 
you know, that was uh, that was some good stuff uh, back in the day. But uh, love it. Yeah. So minifigures, they are they are, I guess, a give and take. They are hot and cold. <laughs> um, now, back to Terry Cavanaugh, since we've got to uh, his present freelance credits include solo Avengers. Man. OK, man, man. His hobbies are semi-legal, so uh, uh-huh, we're, we're, we probably shouldn't check his browser history. <laughs> no, but he is guilty of selling Animax to children, so that's a crime worthy of death <laughs> right there in many states. <laughs> now, uh, his the work he's most proud of is pretty darn good. So uh, what are we doing with this one guy? These, right? Another one of these. Um, his pet peeves are almost housebroken. Jesus. His place of birth is not yet a shrine. Why do they agree to these things if they don't I, want to do them? I've gotten this is this is embarrassing. Terry, this come one, on. one of the worst ones. Oh lord. His greatest accomplishment outside of comics is a long story. Oh my god. Damn it, Terry, come on. Um his oddest habit is not suitable for print. <laughs> So uh, let's definitely not check his browser history. Well, technically, if we're getting into the weeds here, Wolfpack and Kickers were definitely not fit for print either. So, but but I digress. But I did like that, like that that song and dance thing with Kicks Incorporated. That was pretty good, right? <laughs> uh, Yikes! Uh, now, uh, who'd play him in a movie? A 19-year-old, which still isn't uh, legal, Terry. That is uh, creepy shit right there. Yeah, it is. The reason he picked comics is extremely interesting. Uh, <sighs> asshole. Um, now people in high school thought that Terry was in grammar school. Okay. Uh, I definitely don't check his browser history. Uh, his favorite <laughs> performers are double jointed. Oh, I wonder what uh, <sighs> I wonder what he's taking in. What what entertainment he this Terry guy takes in? I'm sure it's uh, wonderful. Mr. Kavanaugh. Uh, last good book he read was five dollars and ninety-five cents. Hey, at least someone's honest. Yeah, yeah. It's not infinite jest. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't fit, uh, you know, five thousand pages in uh, five dollars and ninety-five cents. <laughs> Maybe the digital version. I don't know. Oh man. <sighs> uh, now the last good movie he saw was four dollars. Whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, 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 whoa! Wait a second here. Four bucks. Mm-hmm. Man, when was this? Oh, this was 88. Okay, so I guess four bucks rounds out. Pretty cool. Maybe maybe it was Cocoon. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> uh, the biggest influence on his work is his creditors. Oh, so now we're getting like the broken, desperate vibe from this guy. Now, mm-hmm. maybe he sells grit on the side. I don't know. To win some of those amazing prizes now. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh, Terry. Uh, his, his greatest unfulfilled ambition is a great frustration to him. And to us as well. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the worst part of his job is not done yet. <laughs> Give me five minutes with this guy. <laughs> when nobody's looking, he tries to get their attention. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I hate this guy. I hate meet, this guy. You ever meet someone who thinks they're a lot funnier than they are? Oh, this is – there. I, I work with 150 Terry Kavanaugh's a day. <laughs> It's, it's like on open mic night where like that one guy goes up like all shecky who's like well everybody i work with says i should be a stand-up comedian it's like well no oh, you're just yeah. you're just an asshole um, now the that's only them, that's them being nice 
yeah, that's them like being like, yeah, you're great. Now let me leave. Uh, now the one thing that people should know about him is top secret. Oh, get this guy off my screen. Thank Head you. Out of my F- ears. Goodbye. Yeah. Yes, sir. Oh, Boom. And Terry, Flush Terry, that Terry. toilet. Wow. And, and I mean, Terry was responsible for some of the clone saga that'll, that'll come up. He also wrote some very, very insipid X-Men. In the, that, explain, the that, explains it. that explains it. So, yeah. Um, I will say Boy, that the little character of him is pretty neat looking. Oh, yeah. That's about it. He's wearing that cool, like, taxi cab driver hat. Uh, but other than that, this this one gets the crown for the worst profile of all time. So congratulations, Terry. <laughs> Good on you. Good for you. Oof. On to the mighty Marvel checklist. Uh, Strike Force Moratorium number two, 22 gets no blurb. In fairness, nothing gets a blurb. Um, Excalibur number one was a, a big one this month, and... Uh, I didn't read that as it was coming out, or I didn't read the early ones as it was coming out. I didn't really read Excalibur until like it was on, you know, Death's Door or right before Death's Door. I think Warren Ellis was still writing it, so it was not like last upswing not, of yeah. quality. Yeah, yeah, before like uh, they before they gave it to like Ben Rabe or Ben Rab, however you say his name, who uh, I, was I, pretty. I, I, yeah, I, I was I was not a fan of Excalibur at all. Now I did like that deluxe edition. I got a uh, shipment from New England Comics one time, mm-hmm. and it came with the deluxe, you know, that that bound edition of Excalibur. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which yeah, was great. Yeah, yeah, I love that thing, man. I was like, I used to bring that around, towed it around, and you know, none of my friends had it, so you know, it was a big deal. But little did I know, inside was the miserable, drizzling poopies. Yeah, it's it's kind of a. It's kind of like the very Claremonty, Claremontiest Claremont. Yeah. Um, there, there are some, there are some, there are some good parts <laughs> of that run, but yeah. it, overall, it was a it could have been a slog. Um, of course, Speedball number one, which we've discussed. Um, I, there's really nothing that that jumps out for this mighty Marvel checklist. Is anything jumping out at you? Well, Marvel magazines. A lot of these <laughs> books were expanding into reprints. In like bigger editions and black yes. and white and you know they feature a new cover and a lot of Different times trim. Paint, yeah, yeah painted covers but they jack up the price Conan magazine and I loved Conan I bought these all the time and mm-hmm. I don't know if I thought I was just getting away with you know bringing naked chicks and boobs into my <laughs> to my room and all that stuff but I loved the covers there was always something great about these rich painted covers of Savage Sword of Conan and you know all the different books they had there and uh, I don't know I just loved that stuff and Conan in particular was one of the uh one of the things that i got to see now if you didn't listen to i think it was the christmas <laughs> episode of uh chris is on infinite earth so you didn't yes. meet my good friend jerry now jerry <laughs> hijacked my parents into <laughs> buying a stack of uh poor quality batman books for an extreme amount of money and uh, i visited his room one time to see his collection and he had a decent collection which was a lot of conan books and a lot of stuff and uh he smelled of uh, of cat urine yes mm-hmm. he did and but he had stacks and stacks and catacombs of Conan in his basement, and he drew all kinds of Conan figures as well, which which concerns me. He maybe him and Terry Kavanaugh got something in common here with browser <laughs> history, but uh, you know there was a there was he was specific, you know, uh, when he drew the characters and naked women in his drawings, and you know he always had perfect perfect areolas on the breasts. I mean, like mm. the rest of the drawing was, you know average but man he really emphasized those nipples 
so I don't know what I don't know what to say about Jerry other than you know rotten your cat pee, brother. <laughs> we, we've all got our fetishes, I guess, right? Whoa, boy! Yeah. Perfect areola. <laughs> <laughs> now that wraps up the bullpen bulletins, but we do have some ads, and unfortunately, they're all house ads again. Since oh, uh, boy. I think eight people bought this issue, and. Uh, <laughs> The fine folks at M&M Mars and uh, Nestle Quick and Tang were no longer, you know, shoveling any piles of money into the production of this book. Um, yes, we get, of course, Speedball. Uh, you, you, yeah, and again, you could tell why people were excited because he was all over the place here. Um, another one we got was the uh, this was not just Cloak and Dagger, but it was the Mutant Misadventures of cloak and dagger because cloak and dagger are mutants and they wanted to sell more copies of this book so yeah, they tied they, it they, in <laughs> they they made sure that mutant was brought up in the same phrase every single time as cloak and dagger so mm-hmm. I, I like the characters I, i've got no problem with cloak and dagger i enjoy yeah, they're right yeah they're all right i remember around might have been a little bit after this but i, I remember like on spider-man they would put like the non-mutant superhero on top yes. of the uh, the issues. It's like, you got to get the word mutant on there just to get people's <laughs> eyes on your book. That's, that's what I love it. But uh, speaking of mutants, we will wrap up with the Exterminators. Ah. What do you think about the Exterminators? I've got a big, I should listen. I, I, I don't come on this show to bash creators. You know, I can't draw as well as 99% of these people, including that poor bum who drew uh, issue 21 of Strike Force. Hugh Mortal. Thomas. <laughs> so I would buy any back in the day. This is 1988, and I would buy anything with an X on it as well. So I was, mm-hmm. you know, I was drinking that Kool Aid Honey Sweet. Anything that said mutant, anything with Excalibur, you know, anything. And X Terminators came out, and I was fairly interested in getting it. So I actually got the book, and I stopped cold because of the artwork of one John Bogdanov. I mm-hmm. do not like his art at all, and I cannot believe. Back, I mean, this these books, Exterminators, was a complete waste of paper, by the way. I don't mm-hmm. recommend it to anybody. I don't recommend it to clean up dog crap in your backyard. Now, <laughs> it's, now, it's, now, But, you know, think about this. Who do you pick? You're killing off Superman. Think about this. You're, you're, the death of Superman is a huge thing that they're trying to revitalize this character after the run that Byrne had in Man of Steel. The character was in Limbo. And you choose to kill off your main character. And who are you choosing to put on that book? Do you put John Byrne back on and give him that last gasp? Do you put Jerry Ordway there to draw a nice, perfectly clean Superman? No, sir. You put John goddamn Bogdanov on it. And, man, I st- oh, I just had this itch about me. I'm sorry, John, but I, I just don't like it. I don't know what else to say. I, when I when I was uh, first reading The Death of Superman, uh, Bogdanov's work did stand out as being very, very different from the rest of the line because you had uh, – I think you had Jackson Geis on there. Uh, you had Dan Jurgens on, on Superman Volume 2. Oh, Dan Jurgens could draw the phone book. Oh, yeah. My God. Dan Jurgens possibly have the – like outside of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, mm-hmm. Dan Jurgens' DC characters are perfection. Oh yeah, clean, yeah, very, perfect, very clean. sturdy yep. lines. Oh my lord, so good. Like he's the Kurt Swan of the '90s, in my opinion. Oh for sure, for sure, yeah. And and I think uh, we might have maybe Jerry Ordway was writing uh, Adventures of Superman at the yep, time. He was. So was it was it Kerry Gamble who was drawing it, or maybe it was uh, what's his face Kiesel or uh, God, what's I can't remember his name. Grummet, Tom Grummet, or did he yeah. come in after the death? 
But uh, yeah, it was very similar art styles on three of the Superman books, uh, where it was uh, very clean, very classic. And then you had John Bogdanoff, which was uh, very uh, what's that word we used? Stylized. Very stylized. Um, so he drew him when Superman had this jarring chin. He, was he had this huge. weird pudgy yeah. nose, and he was mega jacked, which is normally not a problem, but it's yeah. very distracting. You know what it reminds me of? It's only one shade under. Um, Frank Miller's version of Superman from not not okay. Dark Knight version, but uh, the other the other unfortunate two sequels. Yes. <laughs> but but uh, I, I've grown to actually appreciate Bogdanov's work um, in my my softer, uh, older years here. Uh, so, so what's some good ones? Tell me. Tell me so I can so I can uh, make apologies to John. Tell me what's well, some good stuff. Honestly, I, I appreciate the uh, the stuff around the death now. Um, it's still very different from what. Uh, from what else was going on at the time, but I, I have this weird appreciation for it now. Um, I don't know why. I think it's. I usually compare Bogdanov uh, with another artist of the uh, early '90s, uh, Larry Stroman. <laughs> oh yeah, um, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, boy, Stroman which, was. Uh, I mean, their work, their work doesn't look anything alike, but the fact that they were both like writing or drawing for a family of books, and their work was so starkly different from everything else going on. Did Strowman draw a tribe for Image? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But uh, I'm thinking of him more as X Factor. Uh, oh, definitely, because, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, you had the you had the Image guy, you had like the the Prime Image guys doing the other three main X books. You had uh, Protasio on Uncanny. You had Jim Lee on X Men Volume Two. You had Liefeld on X Force. Yeah. Then you had Larry Strowman on X Factor, which was <laughs> very different. You know, it wasn't the poses. It wasn't the you know million teeth on the head. It was, it was just very different. And back in the day, I didn't like it. But now I look at it and I have this odd appreciation for it. And uh, I think that's the same with uh, with Bogdanov. And uh, it might just be the fact that I've seen so many other types of supermen, you know, in, in the interim that I've liked, uh, like jumping into like 2000s. You have like Ed McGuinness. Oh, yeah. Like absolutely. that very big bubbly Superman, which looks so different from the stuff of the early 90s. But I love it. And I think. Oh. I think that kind of softened me on different takes of, uh, of Superman. And uh, I, I think I'm a, uh, a John Byrne, Dan Jurgens type of uh, Superman guy. I think that, oh, sure. that's, my, that, that's my look, I think, that I really like. Well, what, do you, what do you think about John Romita Jr. Superman? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, what do, what do I know? <laughs> there is not enough time in this day for me to start in on that mess. <laughs> it's People love that guy. Much. Like, I just don't get it. Like, Think about John Romita, his dad, <laughs> yes. senior, like a just a master of a pencil. I mean, his stuff in Spider-Man, to my opinion, is still the best art. And then you get his son, his son, who uh, who clearly missed drawing school. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I don't know. Not for me. Not for me. I know a lot of people love it, so I'm not gonna bury the guy. But not for me. I like a lot of his stuff, but it feels like around 2010, 2011, uh, his pencil became a lot looser. Uh, Let's rush these pages to the printer. Basically, because I mean, I loved I loved his take on um, on Amazing Spider-Man when Straczynski was on it. Yeah, I enjoyed his runs on Uncanny X-Men around like. His, his, he had one before my time, but then he also came back around issue 300 of Uncanny, and I loved that. Um, his Daredevil stuff is good. 
Oh yeah. And then, now, now it suits Daredevil because you're yeah. gritty, you're street level, you're, you're sure. supposed to be rough, and it does give that vibe. But I don't know his his Superman visual facially, I just can't accept it. Sorry. Is our- yeah, because I remember uh, when they brought the uh, Avengers back, uh, when they stopped – well, they kept new <laughs> Avengers going because it was, you know, making money. But they, they actually made an actual volume just called Avengers again, and it was him and Bendis. And it was just like so loose. Like, like you could draw Thor's head by drawing a square. <laughs> you could put, like, wings on a square, and that was Thor's oh, head. It was just really painful, 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 painful. Yeah. No, no good. Yeah, but back to this Exterminators thing here. Um, this got a bit of press because uh, it did spin out of X Factor, and it was part of Inferno, which was yep. the big X crossover at the time. And I mean, Louise Simonson was there, and she was with Bogdanov. So I mean, yeah. storyline-wise, is not terrible. But uh, yeah, but it was still a little uninspired. Definitely. Oh yes. Oh but, yes. But it did give us the first appearance of Wizkid. So. Uh, <laughs> If you uh, have your wizard price guide handy um, and uh, you have issue uh, one of Exterminators, you have potential gold in the first appearance of Takeshi Matsuya, Wizkid. All right. I have it. I have it mm-hmm. in my collection. <laughs> but I think I think that's about it for uh, the uh, the whole of Strike Force Moratory number 22. Uh, before we close out, uh, do you have any final thoughts before we hop into plugs? Uh, no, other than uh, not a bad issue at all. So, I mean, you True. know, we're coming off a disaster on issue 21. Uh, issue 22, of course, is not the not the heights of uh, Brent Anderson yeah. or uh, or Mr. Gillis, but I guarantee you, um, it was it was not a train wreck. It was a six out of five. There's still hope for this. Yeah. There's hope for this series. We're seeing some new moratories, so changes is a coming, people. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to some new issues. Absolutely. So uh, send it to Pitches and we can wrap this baby up. All right. So you can find me at uh, on the Twitter at Charlton underscore hero. Uh, you can also find me in some of my retro ramblings over on WordPress at the Superhero Satellite. Just hashtag that and you can find me somewhere along the lines. We talk about comics. We talk about movies. We talk about professional wrestling. You can also find us. Uh, over as the Podsman over on the W2M network doing some wrestling coverage on TV party tonight. And we got some good stuff coming a little bit later on. So you might want to check out some WWE pay-per-view coverage all the time. W2M network with uh, myself, Chris and Mr. Mark Radlich. That's it for me. I don't know if we have good stuff coming. We definitely got stuff coming. Oh, we got stuff coming. (laughs) Now you can find me on the Twitter at Ace Comics. Uh, uh, the website is chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. Um, I mentioned this before, but chrisandreggie.com, I don't have accounting access to that domain. So uh, that website might revert back to weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com. If it does, or when it does, and if I'm able to pull that domain name back up, I will do so. Um, but for now, uh, Chris is on Infinite Earths is probably your safest bet since that ain't going nowhere. Um chrisandreggie.podbean.com that ain't going anywhere either so you'll be able to find all the noise there if you are looking for that noise you will find it of course it's on itunes stitcher google play i haven't went through the the apps uh you know verbally so i don't even know if any of these things exist anymore uh, I, i'm assuming <laughs> stitcher is still a thing and that google play oh, is yes. still a thing and iHeartRadio is still a thing so if you have those things you'll you'll have our noise if you uh, so desire um what else Yes, we will have a TV party tonight this Tuesday, if you're listening uh, as this comes out. Um, 
I will also be on uh, the Rattle and Broadcasting Network for the next few weeks on source material, filling in for Jesse as he's being an essential worker during this he's, time. He's paying the people during the pandemic. He's paying mm-hmm. the pandemic people. God bless he's, you, Jesse Starcher. Yes. Yes. God bless you and God keep you. Um, <laughs> so I will be uh, filling in for him, lending my my vocal talents to that. Um I'll be on the Wizards podcast uh, probably in the next couple of weeks to discuss an issue of Wizard over on the Retro Network. All right. Um, and I think that's probably just about it. Of course, we'll be back for uh, more Tory Mondays uh, this uh, following Monday, of course. Uh, but I think that's all we got. Um, we want to thank you so, so much for hanging out with us today. And uh, once again, apologize for the delays and the lack of episodes over the past couple months. And hope you stick with us, hope you returned, hope you enjoyed what you heard today, and hope you'll stick it out as we take this baby home. So uh, we will uh, thank you one last time and talk to you again real soon. See ya!